we have a belief at Portview that family is the main building block that God uses to build churches and communities and states and countries and everything he wants to accomplish, his kingdom, everything is built upon the foundation of the family. Now I understand families look different. Some families look one way, some families look another way. And in a world of brokenness, there's all kinds of versions of family. But God uses families, even though they can look a a bit different, uses families as the foundation for building everything. This church would not be anything if it did not comprise, was not comprised of families. Family is God's idea for caring for and for building up his kingdom. And the church... You guys make up the family and then we become a family, right? That's what the church is all about. I heard a teacher say it like this one time. He said in Genesis, let me quote what he says. In Genesis 1.28, God did not tell us to change the world through war, economics, political rule, or even through education. He simply said, be fruitful and multiply. And he was saying this, God has a plan. He says, having children and raising them in the Lord is God's plan to change the world. Um, And I would add, because it's implied here, and taking what you have as that family and passing it on from generation to generation to generation. God's plan, he says, you know what I want you to do to, to make this world be a place where he literally inhabits through people? He said, simply be fruitful and multiply that having children and raising them in the Lord can change our world. And so have you ever considered the fact that God designed the family to be the material or the building blocks that he would use to create society? I don't know if you ever look at it that way. We just kind of assume families or, or overlook families or don't understand the value of families. But when God looks at the world and he looked at how am I going to, how is he going to, to um, in, bring his presence and his rule into the world, he said, you know what I'll do? I'll create this unit called the family. Well, this is why family is so incredibly important and why we at at Portview want to help you raise and produce and be part of, be members of the greatest families you could ever be part of. And and we understand something, though, at church. Here's a reality we live with. It's a tension that we as a staff live under. And it's this. That people are different, and so these numbers switch a little bit, but, but um, based on attendance, based on people's involvement, which does vary, we at the church, this is according to, to national numbers, that we at the church get between 40 and 100 hours per year to help families, to influence kids, to give resources, to, to teach on marriage. We get between 40 and 100 hours of year in the, in the typical American family. But as parents, or as partners, marriage partners, or even as grandparents, and I know this will change a little bit there, you get about 3,000 hours per year with your kids and time together as families and time together as couples. So we look at that, 40 to 100, 3,000, and we understand that the best thing that we can do to help families, to, res- to, to help families is to resource families, give them what they need so that you 
can do what God asked you to do. Create extraordinary families. Because that's what that's God's huge plan for you, is to be part of extraordinary families and to, on purpose, create extraordinary families. And we have an approach to this here. And our approach is a lot like the old slogan of Home Depot. You're kind of wondering why there's Home Depot buckets up here. Um, and their old slogan says this, you can do it, what's it say after that? We can help. You can do it, we can help. That's, I tried to buy those shirts, but that's not their motto anymore, so I can only get you pictures of it. But that is our approach to understanding how family, how we can help families at Portview Church. We understand, it's God's plan, you can do it, and we can help you do it. And that's what we want to do. We want to help you, we want to empower you to create extraordinary families. So today what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite the absolute better looking half of the Larson family up here, Suzanne. Yeah, you can give her a hand. Have you ever wondered how she's put up with me this long? I didn't hear a resounding amen, but it's I know that's that, out there it's somewhere. It's not as hard as he makes it sound. Not as hard, so. But it is it's somewhat hard. No. It's very nice having you up here. Can I give you a kiss? Is that all right? If you want. <laughs> oh, isn't that sweet? So we, what we want to do today is, um, we want to, we've been thinking about and praying about um, how could we help people create Christ-centered homes. That's what we're going to start with. Our topic today in this idea of building strong families is talking about developing a Christ-centered family. And, and here's what I want to say as we start off. We don't believe that we are the experts in the field. We really don't believe that. But we do believe this, that we've discovered a few things along the way that are really important for building Christ-centered families. And so let me just give you a little idea in case some of you don't really know much about us. I won't tell a big bio, but, but we've been married 27 years this summer. Um, it's been 27 good years, but I can tell you this. The years now are much better than the years were then. Um, we've, we've had some, some challenges. Um, we've done crazy things. We've moved across the globe and lived in third world countries. I've, you know, I've said, hey, I think we should quit this really positive, growing, established church with salaries and let's go plant another church somewhere for no money and live in people's basements and do that kind of stuff. So we've been through a lot of stuff and all of that time um, we've had kids. Matter of fact, from the day we got married, Suzanne's like, I want babies. And so I said, not till we have, not right. She is the ultimate, ultimate mom. There is no mom on the world who loves babies. Matter of fact, she's been I didn't almost, say it quite like that, almost incarcerated for being a baby crook um, because she snaps people's babies up in church all the time. I'm like, honey, other people like to hold those babies too. But so we wanted babies. And so um, right at the beginning of our first church, when I got done with college, we got the first church, just got, got the go-ahead, um, we started a family. And so we've had kids pretty much the whole time we've been married. That was, well, just in about three years, finished college and, and, uh, and um, had, had our, our first child. So we have been married 27 years. We have two boys and one daughter-in-law and one girlfriend. And, and, and that's what we have. And Our son has a girlfriend, not him. I don't have a... I do have a girlfriend. Just needed to clarify that. I have a girlfriend. That. This is my girlfriend. Matter of fact, I will tell you this. 
This is the truth. And this is not one of the notes. I shouldn't even get sidetracked. This is what I was worried about today. I was going to bring the rabbit today. Um, they don't know about the rabbit, do they? We have a rabbit, a little rabbit that sits up here for when I get on rabbit trails. You know what? Good thing you said it because I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I don't remember. So anyways, I don't remember what I was going to say, but it was going to be funny. <laughs> um, so, so anyways, um, we... We've been married for 27 years, like I said. We've, we've you know, raised kids. We've now seen one get married. We've seen them date. Um, we're kind of empty nesters now. We were complete empty nesters. Now Brett's back and for a while and you know, because he's working a different job. And, and so we're kind of not empty nesters, but he works crazy weird hours, so we never see him. It's, I don't even know how we've seen you today. He worked 10 hours last night, all night, and now you got up to come to church. So good to see you, Brett. <laughs> so about the only time I get to see you. And so we've started to experience all the phases of life. Um, now, we have not yet been grandparents. And we won't talk about that. But I wore a grandpa sweater today on purpose. I wore a grandpa sweater. I did it. And I did. And Josh said, what are you? I said, no, 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 no. But anyways, um, so we don't, we haven't experienced that part of it yet. But we've, we've been, been doing this for a little while. And, and we've learned a few things. And I can say this. We've had some great successes. And we've had some horrendous failures. We've had things we've tried that have been catastrophes. You know, we tried to be the perfect family with all the devotions and all that stuff. A lot of that stuff didn't work for us. Boys that you could not put, you guys have to make, I had to make my kids sit on their hands in the car usually. That was the thing. Hands, sit on their hands or put their hands on their head because they would kill each other. And so, so, uh, and they're wonderful friends now. They really are. And that was always one of our goals. That should have been one of our points. They still don't keep their hands off of each other. They don't. No, last yeah. night they weren't. They were together last night and they weren't doing it before Brett went to work. And so, so anyways, um, but somehow by the grace of God, we have been blessed to, to, to figure this out. And we didn't have, I don't think, really good models, role models as far. I'm not blaming family, but family, you know, I don't think we understood maybe when we came into marriage what it was supposed to look like. And so I always say this, that even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. And so we were fortunate we found some, we found some, some things that worked. And, uh, and, and it, it's been fun and it's been trying and it's been, we've had fights and we've had a lot of good days. Um, and so... We've come up with five points that we want to talk about that we think are really helpful for helping you build a Christ-centered family. Can I say one thing? You can say, you, say you can say whatever you want. Okay. So before he starts the points, you know, and you did say whatever you said about the squirrel finds a nut, you know, and, <laughs> and, we, and I generally always say, you know, God just blessed our ignorance. You know, we you don't know what you don't know, right? When you have your kids, you don't you you don't know sometimes. And so before we start, I t- when we were talking, I said, you know, I want to make sure and say, you know, as as we go through this, if you're like, oh, I didn't do that, or I haven't even thought of that, or whatever, God doesn't expect perfection. You know, we're not perfect. We made a lot of mistakes, but what God does ask is just come to me, be real. Talk to me. Let me be involved. Invite me in. You know, and it's not the perfection. He doesn't, don't feel like a failure. Don't feel like, oh, I messed up and, oh, I, you know, 
my kids are screwed up. That's what I, I, I would always say. I just hope I don't screw my kids up so bad that they can't function. And when they accuse us you know? of it, you'd always say, well, then you can go see a psychiatrist when you're older. <laughs> That's what you always tell them. <laughs> well, yeah. I say, well, it's something to talk to your therapist about. <laughs> so, but, you know, you do your best, right? And so, so this is in no way, you know, the things we're talking about meant as a a source of condemnation or anything like that. It's just saying, you know, these are just some things that we've found, and again, we're not the experts, but that have helped us have a Christ-centered home. Amen. And it, and, it, and it has been working. And so, and another thing is you're saying that as a as a introduction or introductory thought, as you say, you know, say you're you're on the path to to developing a home. We're not just talking about child rearing here. We're talking about marriage, you know, because this goes from from the the day you're born until the day you die. You're part of a family, and so um, if you say, well, I'm somewhere along that path, and I'm, and maybe there's a point that we'll deal with with children, and you say, well, I've not been doing that. Um, it's never too late to start. Sometimes we do this. We feel like, oh, I blew it. And because I blew it, it's too late. No, it's never too late to start. If you, had, if you had one week of doing it the right way before a child left the home, that was one great week to do it the right way. Uh, and so don't feel like it's, it's ever too late. It's not too late. God is, the, God is in the business of redemption. He redeems what we give him. He purchases it and he makes it beautiful. And so let's talk about these things. So the first one we want to talk about, and they'll all be up on the up on a slide. Um, the first one is this. It starts with me. And this is when it's Suzanne, when we put these together, she said, this is the first thing. This is the most important. So why don't you start by ta- telling, what did you mean by it starts with me? Well, the way I phrase it, you know, is that for Christ to be the center of your home, he needs to be the center of you first. You know, and it, so it doesn't matter if it's going into marriage. It doesn't matter if it's raising your children. It doesn't matter, you know, your sibling relationships, the, you know, the parent child and uncle grandparents. If Christ isn't the center of you, then it's not going to be come out to those that you're, you're interacting with. And I think a lot of times, you know, we think we have to read the books and get the knowledge and, you know, this is what Dr. So and so says and, and, you know, do it that way. It's not. We need to read this book. (laughs) We need to spend time in prayer with this relationship and allow God then to develop in us, you know, the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and and to to lead us and guide us in in our personal walk and in those relationships. You know, we're going to talk about some things later, but when we are, when we're one with Christ, when we're consistent in that relationship. And I understand there's seasons of life. We were just, um, some of us were together last night talking about, um, you know, there's seasons of life where you might, when you don't have kids, you have lots of time to spend reading your Bible and praying and, and doing life with other people. When you have newborns that don't sleep through the night and you're doing all you can do, you know, to um, take care of them, you're, it's kind of in the nooks and crannies, you know, when when do I have time to talk to the Lord? Oh, it's while the baby's in the front pack and I'm doing dishes, you know. Um, but it's the the intent of the heart, you know, of saying, God, I want you. I want you to speak to me about my spouse. I want you to speak to me about my kids. I want you to speak to me about my parents, you know, all of those things. Because if it doesn't start with, oh, no, start with you. <laughs> Don't lose your notes. Oh, if it doesn't start with you, um, 
then, you know, Christ isn't going to be able to come out of you the way that he wants to. So that's what I was talking about. Okay, so it starts, <laughs> it starts with me. Um, you know, and, and how does that work? And, you know, that could be a, any one of these points could be a whole sermon in themselves. So we just want to hit them kind of highlight points of idea of that, that, that you can't pass on what you don't have. And also this. There is no one in the world who knows whether you're genuine or fake like your kids. And so if you think you're good, you can fake out the pastor all day long. You can fake out other people. They can say, oh my goodness, this guy's a superstar Christian. He's wonderful. But, but what goes on in the home is the most important. And let me tell you this. It's way more important to impress your kids for Jesus than to impress the pastor. It's way more important that your kids know that Jesus is your core than the church. And so, so there's a saying that says something along the lines of the real, the real test of a person is not what people who are at arm's length or, or distant think about that person, but what, are the, what do the people who are closest to that person think about that person? Think about that as a parent. How am I revealing Jesus to my kids? How am, I, how am I saying to them, communicating to them, that Jesus is number one in my life? And I'll tell you one of the things that is ultra important for that to happen. And I think we've kind of figured this out and we've grown in this. Is understanding it's not about, that, that it's, it's about being Christ-like, not being religious or legalistic. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about rules. That, the, that it comes from the inside out that what you want to do when you're when you for your own life and for your influence of other people's is it must come from transformation inside your life first and then let that spill out what we like to do a lot of times is especially in child rearing is we demand conformity we say you got to act this way and we do it externally and we think if we do it externally it'll come internally it doesn't work that way Christ, transformation to Christ's likeness starts from the inside and it works its way out. So when you spend time with the Lord, so for me it's, it's my bracelet that I've talked to you about a hundred times, tending the flame, is I think about all the time, how do I every day have to stay connected to the presence of Jesus? That as I live my life that way, it transforms from the inside. Then I can talk to my kids or to my spouse or to anybody else about saying, well, this is what Jesus is doing in me and I can understand how to handle things. So, it starts with me. It starts with a right relationship with Jesus with me. Um, and you would put a point in there. You said, making time with Jesus and as normal, not just talking about Jesus. A lot of times as Christians, we're real good about talking the talk. But here's, listen, if you want to bring transformation in your own life, you want to bring transformation in your spouse's life, um, because guess what? That's one of the reasons God brings us together. Even if you never have children, the reason God brings us together is to perfect each other. Perfect us in Christ's likeness. So we bring somebody into our house that's going to challenge us. And so um, it needs to drive me to Jesus. Not drive me to just talking about Jesus, but to really walking with Jesus. Well, I think what you said earlier about, you know, your kids can tell a phony, you know, and and the people you live with obviously are going to be able to tell if I'm saying one thing to you, you know, like, you know, Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't lie. I'll just use something big like that. But if, but they see you doing it. See you lying. 
it totally undermines that relationship. There's not a trust. There's not a, and, and it undermines their ability to trust God mm-hmm. and to know Jesus because they're saying, well, if, if this is, if you're saying this is Jesus and you, and you're, you're doing the very things that you're telling me, no, I shouldn't do based on Christ, then it's just a disconnect. And you know, we have sayings that, that validate that. We say, uh, do what I say, not what I do. You want to destroy your family? Live by the motto, do what I say, not what I do. Do what I do, not what I say. But do what I do, I hope what I do lines up with what I say. Right? So, that's number one. It starts with me. We better move on or we might, we'll keep them here all day. Number two, um, us before ours. Us before ours. And um, this is one I thought was, was really important. Um, and it's just that understand this. Order matters. The order of things in your life matter. One of the things, you know, Suzanne said earlier, um, you know, just know that this, it's all about this word. That's true, but it is also still about really good teaching and really good, there's some really good people. God has raised up people who have made an incredible positive impact in the church world and they have made a real impact in our lives. One of the men that I always credit for literally helping us have a good marriage and keeping me from killing my kids was Dr. James Dobson. Um, so James Dobson was a huge impact on us. And this idea of us before ours, um, he may have never said it that way, but it's what he said. He basically would say this, the greatest gift you can give to your children is a great marriage. That the greatest gift you can give to your kids, if you want stable kids who understand that Jesus is real and they want to serve him, the best way you can do that is have a great Marriage, that the foundation of every stable home is a thriving marriage. And so that's kind of hard at times because kids are demanding. As a matter of fact, you made a point about this that I wanted you to talk to because when you said it to me, I hadn't really thought of it like this before, but you said something about it being harder for moms. Yeah, when we were talking, I said, I think, and well, I know personally, it's harder. You know, this point was harder for me than it was for Mark. Fortunately, I had a husband who would always say to me, Suzanne, we're going to be married long after the boys leave this house. And I was selfish and, and kind of liked her. <laughs> and, and if we don't continue to nurture this relationship when they leave, what are we going to have? You know, and, and he, I'll admit, and he will tell you, don't shake your head or anything, um, that we would go and do things, and I, I was not the best partner. I wasn't enjoying being gone from the kids when they were little. You know, but... I think the reason that it's so hard is because for women, moms, we um, put so much of our identity into our kids. That's where it comes from. For men, their identity is not their children. It's in their job. There's a lot of other external things that that's their identity. So it really takes intention to say, you know what? We need to know each other. Um, Proverbs 31 is the chapter that I have read my whole marriage, you know, talking about um, a godly woman. And 31.11 says, Her husband trusts in her confidently and believes in her securely. And I was reading that, and this came to mind when we were talking about this, because I thought the only way that that happens is by spending time together. You're not going to be able to have confidence in each other. You're not going to be secure in this relationship if you're not spending time with each other. And so 
you know, how many of you have heard people who have been married, you know, 20 years and then they say, I'm getting divorced because I don't know the other person. I don't know what happened. I don't know them anymore. It's because it's not ours, us before, it's because it's not us before ours. It's that all the ours is taking, you know, the precedence over the us. And so I'm not saying be selfish. I mean, obviously, you know, your kids need, when they're born, they have to be fed and have diapers changed and all of those things. But it needs to be intentional and to figure out how that works for you. Um, because, you know, you don't want to wake up one day and go, I don't know you. And your kids are going to leave and, and their identity is not in you. You know, you want their identity to be in Christ, not dependent on you. And so this part influences and impacts your marriage and your relationship with your children. And it affects their ability to be good parents. Because, you know, we're living in this, this um, the phrase is the helicopter society. Helicopter moms, and helicopter parents. And now they're talking about, if you heard a new phrase, they're talking about helicopter grandparents now where there's helicopter grandparents, helicopter parents, where they're hovering over their children all the time. And if, if that's the model, the model you give to your children, that's what they're going to reproduce in their lives. And, we, and everything studies show it's really a hindrance to kids. Kids have to make mistakes. Kids have to learn how to stand on their own two feet. And when, a, when the, one of the parents or both of the parents, their whole life is just invested in these kids and the priority isn't my marriage, but the priority is parenting, what happens is you teach the kids a model that they're going to reproduce, and it's not healthy for them and their kids. And so, um, so you're, you're not just doing this. You're doing this because Christianity's plan is generation after generation after generation. So you have to think about how will you affect it. So what you do today will affect how they're going to see parenting. And so um, helicoptering is really not healthy for a family, and, and I know there were lots of times that in our marriage, um, we had arguments because I'd be like, hon, I was first. And I'll admit, sometimes it was just pure selfishness. I'm like, I'm feeling neglected. So that's probably whiny, crying, but you guys know what I'm talking about. If you have children, kind of like, hey, I married you because I really think you're beautiful and you're wonderful and I want to spend time with you. And these little urchins have come in and they've robbed me of my wife they were beautiful you know, babies they're beautiful babies they, they were beautiful. they just cried a lot um and uh only one of them cried a lot and uh, and I, I you guys my boys know they couldn't love them more than, than i do um but i understood or maybe it was selfish it it was us first and it's going to be us later and if we want to give those kids something wonderful now the most wonderful gift we can give them is seeing a mom and dad who are madly in love with each other and so that's what we tried to model and and I think it's I think it's worked and one thing I'll add cuz I I know for me as a mom the thought of especially when you're newly married and your income is limited you're thinking I can't you know I can't afford to get a babysitter and then pay to go out for a cup of coffee, and, you know, it, it's going to cost me something. And so two things. One, you know, this is why a community of believers is really important to build those relationships. I mean, we ended up swapping babysitting with friends of ours because we, there's, you know, we and we would family. swap and stay home, you know. So the way we worked it out was our kids were a little older, and you do a sleepover at your house this weekend, and the next month we have your kids at our house for the, you know, overnight. And so that worked out really well. Um, but, you know, there's a saying about um, 
you, like you don't know how much it really costs you if you don't do something. This is an area that if you don't make it a priority is going to cost you more than the money that you spent down the road. Yeah. In you know, other more significant emotional, ways. Emotionally, relationally, it really is an area that really needs to be a priority in order for the relationship to move beyond you know, the child-rearing years. Now, you made another comment about this, a point that, that I thought was really insightful and I hadn't really thought about um, when we were talking about us two for hours. And you talked about what about those situations where you have a family who one person is a believer and the other one's not and that they're still having a need to be unified in that. You want to talk about that at all? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, fortunately... I haven't been in that situation, but I've watched the situations where you have one spouse who is a Christ follower and one who isn't. And a lot of times the one who is feels a great sense of responsibility. Like what, you know, I can't, I can't change that. And all you can do is do what Christ is asking you to do to still be the example, to still try to work on the relationship. And, you know, actually this morning when I was praying and reviewing this, um, I wrote down, because I just think God dropped it in my mind, is that if you're in that situation, you need to remember that you are not in an impossible situation because you serve a God who is a God of the impossible. And so you might be fearful of what's going to happen with my children when they have one parent who's not a Christian and one parent who is, are they going to grow up with this foundation? Are they going to grow up trusting God? God is the God of the impossible, and all you can do is live your faith and your relationship and those things out in front of your children. Try to incorporate that the best that you can in the situation you're in, and then trust God. And you had even made the point to even do your best to still try to be a team with that spouse right. who's not a believer, that, that right. you didn't want to instill in that child this combativeness. Right. So the idea, you're, even though it might not be perfect, because no family's perfect, but even though it's not perfect, you can still try to model for that child that, uh, that uh, the two people who had a child together, um, that together they're the ones who want to positively influence their kids. So not creating a system where you're always attacking and fighting against that one. You're still trying to work with that other one and say, let's try to work together for the best of our kids. Right, and if you're doing number one, realizing that it starts with me, and you're having that relationship with Christ and bringing that spousal relationship to him and the children to him, you know, God's, God's not going to allow you to be a spouse who's divisive. Right. He's not going to allow you to be an example in front of your children who that is negative, you know, belittling and all of those things, because that, that's not Christ's heart and it's toward anybody, you know. And so, right. yeah, the kids don't need to see that, but that wouldn't even be God's um, flow through right. you if he's active in you. Right. Amen. All right, let's move on to number three. So um, the next one we came up with was this, love and forgiveness for all. And what we mean by that is to ask yourself the question, what defines the culture of your family and your home life? Is it anger and strife or things like that? Or is it love and forgiveness that when somebody comes into your home, 
Um, and it can be your home as you're a single person, you're a married person, you're a married people with, with children, you're a married couple who, whose children are grown, and now, and now you're a widower or a widower. Um, that what defines the culture or the atmosphere of your home? Is it a place of love and forgiveness for all? Or is it a place of anger and strife and things like that? Because, because we are responsible for setting the culture to our homes. And so um, we recognized the need, and, and again, this is imperfect. Oh, yeah. um, it's been imperfect, but it's been our, and, and I can honestly say this. Suzanne has been better at this than me. She's been better at understanding uh, or been, being capable of creating a culture in the house. That if I come in and I am stressed and tired and frustrated, she's somehow been able to, even though she's been stressed and tired and frustrated, been able to try to do a, create a culture, a feeling in the home where love and forgiveness rule. And so that's one point is that, that learn from each other and help, especially somebody who's strong in an area, let them help you if you're the person who's maybe weaker in that area. And so love and forgiveness for all. So I think, first of all, about, about forgiveness. And um, one of the things you know, I, I do, I pray through the Lord's Prayer every day. One of the reasons it does is it forces me to deal with the, what I see as like the five main areas of Christian formation um, every single day. And part of that is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So you could put forgive us our sins as we forgive the sin of, sins of others. So Lord, forgive us, we'll forgive others. Now, there's something interesting in that about, about living out the Lord's Prayer and daily forgiveness is that when I ask that, and maybe you're different than me, but I never have a problem accepting the fact when I say, Lord, forgive me my sins. I never doubt that God will forgive me of my sins. Right then, I understand the God of the Bible. And so I know it says if I ask for forgiveness, he'll give it to me. So when I ask for forgiveness and I pray through that, and it starts by saying, Lord, forgive me, and then help, let, let, me, let me walk in forgiveness, um, and I always just expect that God will do that. But a number of years, years ago, I came to think, I thought, but do people look at me that way? That I just expect God will forgive me. But do other people in my home just expect that God, that I will forgive them? And I began to think of it this way, that, and I tell everybody when they get married this, um, if I do their wedding, make forgiveness easy. Make it in your home where forgiveness is easy. Because you know how we make forgiveness difficult? We expect people have to pay for the things they've done. And so we use a silent treatment. Anybody ever do that? Or angry outbursts? Or you got the look? Anybody know the look? Anybody got the look? Yeah, we all got the look. And you know there's something you're going to have to do to somehow... Earn their forgiveness. I'm going to have to jump through certain hoops. So men, you may think I have to buy flowers for my wife. I'm saying this. Wife, if you're creating the culture that says he has to buy me flowers to find forgiveness, stop it. Jesus doesn't do that with you. We just go to Jesus every day and say, forgive me my sins. And he goes, okay. And so make it easy to forgive each other. Um, forgive quickly. And this is, how it, this is how it really works. You say, but I've been wronged. Oh, yes, you have. And so have you. And so has that person. And so has this person. And so have I. And if you understand your life in the big picture, the big picture is this. God has forgiven you a ton. You've literally rejected, you've rejected the ways of the creator of the universe. Okay? Because we're human. We've done that. And he has said, 
I forgive you. Matter of fact, he says this. He didn't say, after you gave me a dozen roses, I forgive you. He says, while you were yet sinners, I forgive you. So he makes it easy to forgive. And so, so we have to follow that. We say, he's done that to me, so I want to extend that to others. So if, it's been, if God forgives me easily, I need to forgive easily. Oh, and the question that we've always said in our home is, you know, what's more important, the relationship or being right? You know, because you can, you can damage your relationship in, to be right. We're not, we are unperfect, imperfect human beings. We're, we are going to hurt each other. We're going to wrong each other. You know, but if we understand that the, re, you know, the reason Jesus sent his son to die for us was for relationship. If we understand this relationship, whether it's spouse or children, is more important than being right at this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and in all this, we, we understand, you know, there's times you have conversations about, you know, this wasn't appropriate or this was, this is why. And there's consequences. Felt, you know, and there's, yeah, there's consequences and all of those things. But in the heat of the moment, to be able to ask yourself, what's more important right now? The development of this relationship or me being right? Because the answer is the relationship. And that, that's, that's, uh, that's what unconditional love is. You know, forgiveness and unconditional love, they're tied together. That's what unconditional love is. I can't tell you how many times, I mean, literally, I could not count the times that, um, cause, and see, Suzanne didn't have to deal with this. We have boys. And I, they tell me this, that if you have girls, a lot of times the conflict will happen between mom and daughter. If you have boys, the conflict primarily happens between father and son. So we had son and father conflict. And I mean, not terrible, but sometimes pretty heated. Um, and uh, Suzanne... Would, would always say, it's, you know, it's, they're rising up, they want to be the alpha male, okay, but baby, I'm the alpha male in this place. You know, I'm the alpha male in this place, and I'm going to be the male. And she would always say to me, Mark, it's not so important to win. You don't need to win. You don't, you are right, but you don't have to be right. It's all about the relationship. So almost every time we'd have conflict, and you could ask the boys, this is true, I'd, at the end of the conflict, I'd say, well, this is the way it is because I am the alpha male. You know, I mean, son, so I'd say, this is what we're coming to, but here, understand, you may hate me right now. You may hate me right now, but my number one goal, our number one goal is that when you're adults, we have a wonderful relationship centered on Christ, and we have a wonderful adult-to-adult, adult-to-adult relationship, that that's our goal. Our goal is not to win when you're 12 so you respond like a robot and you just externally conform to a bunch of rules in my house and the day you turn 18 you leave the house and you completely rebel, which we see happen over and over and over. The goal is that we will build, develop a relationship and that, when, that will continue to develop. And when you're adults, you will actually want to come to dad and say, dad, what do you think I should do? Mom, what do you think I should do? And you know, in this love and forgiveness for all, it's really important to be intentional about understanding your child's personality and who they are. Because, you know, we know that, well, I've heard if you have children that are real similar to you, that you can have more conflict there because they remind you of you. Um, And as they get older and they become, you know, they're trying to become the alpha male or I don't know what the female version of that (laughs) is, but you know, the alpha, um, and there's this conflict that 
God has created them with the personality that they have, the talents, all of those things. And so even though we can't understand it, we need to ask God to give us wisdom in being able to nurture that and allow them to grow and to flourish into who God's created them to be and allow God to write their story. You know, we can try to control it by um, outbursts and, you know, the silent treatment and all of those things. But what God wants is for us to really have that wisdom, and whether this is spouse or your children, have wisdom to say, how would God respond right now? What's the best way for me to, you know, say to my kids right now, you know, I know this is what you think, but I this is what you think, but I don't agree with you, and this is why. You know, instead of being demanding and saying, you're not doing this because X, Y, Z, you know, um, which that happens when they're younger, but as they get older and they're 20, you know, <laughs> things, your communication changes. And so being under, being able to understand this is who my children are. I need God's heart in knowing how to raise them and to, because when we're when we're when we're walking in frustration, there's a lot of tension and lack of love and lack of forgiveness, mm-hmm. you know. So being able to ask Christ, show me what I need to know for my kids. And this applies not just to child rearing. This applies to your relationship first and foremost as husband and wife. This replies to your relationship with other people. Um, let love and forgiveness rule. You're a single person. Uh, you're a widow or a widower. You bring people into your house. You want to influence them for Christ. Let love and forgiveness rule. Uh, you want to end up being a really miserable, lonely person when you're old? Be a person who lets anger and bitterness rule and winning rule. But you want to be a person who's surrounded by people? Let love and forgiveness rule. Right? You'll create a great family. Let's move on to number four because we got to go. We got to. I'm known for talking fast. Yeah. We're going slow because of somebody's with me today. No, I want you. <laughs> Don't you dare. Uh, number four um, live the Bible in your home. Live the Bible. What I mean by that is elevate Scripture's value and place in your life. I want to read just a section of Scripture from Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, you're familiar with it. <clears throat> um, So this is what it says. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's saying, listen, make everything in your life about God's word. There's a couple reasons for this. Number one, we need to understand and we need to teach the fact that there is truth in a world that says there's no truth. Um, If you want to understand, if you want to know how to have a stable marriage, You want to know how to be stable in raising your children. You have to be able to go to something that is stable to get information, to get insight, to get direction. If you don't have anything stable in your life, you're always just guessing. But if you understand that the Word of God is the Word of God, 
and that you make it a priority in your life and that for in your family that you will live by the word of God. You always have this stable truth to go back to. So when the world's in chaos, you always go back to it. You know, a couple weeks ago I preached a sermon um, and, and a few of you commented about it. I basically just said, listen, relax. And what did we do from that sermon? I said, relax, everything's all right, God's going to win. And we looked at what the Bible says about God's going to win and, and, and how God is in control. He has a plan, he's working it out. Well, what did we do? What we did is we simply said, we're living the Bible. And we're going to, in a time of turmoil, we're going to go back to the foundation that makes it solid for us to stand. So in your life and in your home, that's what we do. We live the Bible. We just say, we say when we get up, when we walk by the way, every time in our life, everything we do is we want to live Scripture. And it's not just the quoting of Scripture, it's the living it out. Exactly. And we, I have a picture, this was just this week, a friend of mine who's a missionary, actually. Kind of hard to see what it is, why don't you describe and, the picture? Is. And the caption is um, that she had on was, sharing my abiding time with my daughter. And so, you know, her stuff is on the, the end, you know, toward the bottom of the screen, and her daughter is sitting there imitating her. That's what this is about. It's about... You know, having your kids wake up and see you praying, having your kids see you reading your Bible, not just when you come to church, not just, you know, special holidays, but this is something that happens regularly in my home, that it's a priority to me. And it's not just, again, not just the quoting of scriptures that says don't do these things or, you know, do these things, but they're seeing it lived out in front of them. And what this creates is it creates the fact that God becomes the true leader of your home. Because when you're following God's word and walking in God's ways, and it's understood that he's the truth we, his, his truth is the truth we stand upon, he becomes a true leader of your home. So you're not the leader, you're not the leader, he's the leader. We're leading under his leadership. And so he becomes a true leader. So you're, so you're having a home, whether again, it's single or it's a couple or it's with children, where you are saying, um, I live by this truth. And therefore he becomes a leader and there's great safety in that. There's great safety in, in, in that happening. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch to the next one because we're kind of running out of time here. And so, let's do number five? Yeah. Let's do this one. This is one that you really thought was super important. Number five, make Christian community a priority. Mm-hmm. So. And the main, the main part about this that I just think is um, so important to remember is that your spouse, your children, they are going to find community somewhere. And where do you want it to be? You know, Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. That's not just like good advice. It's our families, our community. Okay, so our kids, that's all they know is they're growing up. They're going to be part of that community as they get older and they're in school, in sports and all of those things that can then become their community. And if church is not a priority, if they're not involved with other kids who believe serving God is a priority, if, if other things take precedence 
over church. If you say, you know, it's okay, we're not going to be in church, you know, for a month, but we're going to go to soccer and football and hunting and whatever, camping, you know, whatever, that's a message that we're sending, that this is not the priority. This is not a community of value. And our kids especially need that message of saying Christian community, Christian family is a priority. This is where they have this, they, they find people who are going to spur them on, help them grow in their faith, and um, do, do real life together, you know. And so we just have to ask ourselves, what community do we want to put out in front of our kids, especially as the most important? And again, this is not just for kids. No. Um, let me read this quote from you from um, Jim Smith, which is, if you're part, you've been through the Apprenticeship Institute, Apprenticeship classes on Wednesday nights, um, which a bunch of you have. Jim Smith is the author of these books. And he says as he's going to talk about community, what, what a person can expect from community. And I want you to hear what he says, because you might not like what he says, okay? but he's right. He says, the community exists to shape and guide my soul. The community has a right to expect certain behavior from me and can provide the encouragement and the accountability I need. And so what's he saying about community, about Christian community? He's saying community has a reason that it exists, that God created community to shape your soul and guide your soul. And he's saying apart from um, integrated community, your soul will not be shaped and guided the way God intends for it to happen. And then he says this, that the community has a right to expect certain behavior from me. So it's saying as I'm part of a community, the community has, a, has can, should expect certain things out of me, and could then provide with the encouragement and the accountability I need to see that to see that behavior accomplished. Now we don't like to hear that. You know why we don't like to hear that? We say this: No one's going to tell me a cotton picking thing. I'll do whatever I want, right? Don't they do it with this thing somehow? Is that old? Snap, snap, snap. Isn't that's what it is? No one's going to tell me a thing. I'm going to do whatever I want. Guess what? That exists just as much in the church world. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is we live in community for a reason and that the community itself, this community, has a right to expect certain things of each one of us so that we together are creating something that God has made beautiful to affect families and families of the world. There's families that live across the street that need what we have. And this community, we need to help each other grow, challenge each other, correct each other, expect certain things out of each other so that God can develop this community based on families to create and help or help other families in the world that he longs, that he longs to have belong to the, to the family of God. So a Christian community must be a priority in our life if we want to create healthy families. So um, let's wrap this up. Let's remember the, the, the goal of the church community is to shape and to guide my soul. And so we at Portview exist to help, to encourage and to challenge um, you in the development in Christ-likeness as individuals and as families. And I want to finish with another one of the mottos of Home Depot. That's why these are up here. And it's this. Let's do this. We can, we can build great families. I think we have a lot of wonderful families at Portview. I think you guys are great, but we want to be greater. 
We want to be the best possible families that God can create. Because as we, as we become everything we should be as families, we are then a more stable building material foundation that God can use to develop what he's developing to bring about his plan for our community. And, in your, and that community is just made up of a bunch of families just like yours. So you can do it, we can help, and let's just do this thing. So this week, next week, we're going to be spending time talking about, about this, and then we're going to unveil Home Point um, Center next week. So what, well, let's pray together as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are the one who developed and designed family. You're the one who says um, that, that, that the building block of society is family. The first thing you started after you created the world is you took Adam and you took Eve and you put them together and then you said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That you said, build families, families based on you, families that are healthy and whole and strong. And Lord, we understand that sin entered the world long before we ever did. And we have, a, we have the misfortune of living in the corruption of that. But Lord, we know this, you are in the redemption business. And so we would ask in Jesus' name that you would, that you would bless our families, you would redeem what we can invest that, Lord, you would, you would make us beautiful and thriving as families. That, that Lord, as we, as we, as we kind of struggle along together, you would guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. That's what your word says you want to do. And so, Lord God, we give our families to you. Lord, some of our families right now are one, one person, but they have extended family. Some are couples. Maybe couples who are anticipating children, some who their children have gone. Lord, we are families where a husband and wife and kids, we are families that are a mom with children or a dad with children. And Father, we pray this, no matter what the family looks like, these principles, Lord, that we've talked about today apply to every family. And we pray, God, that you could help us to, to just take a few steps forward in the intentionality of, of having healthy families, strong, Christ-centered families. Thank you, Lord. And I want to end today by simply making a suggestion. I'm going to suggest that as you are here and you have some family members with you, that you would end our time together by spending a few minutes praying together. And this is what I'm asking you to do. And it could just be, you could be here with your kids, you could be here, a husband and a wife. Um, you know, maybe you say, um, you don't have any biological family, but this church is your family. Maybe you're a single gal, you can go find another single gal. And pray together and dedicate your families to God again. Say, God, here we are. We're either brand new or we're or we're we're been at this for a long time. God, we want to dedicate this to you. Dedicate this to this, this family to you. That this family is is an offering back to you that you can use um, to create whatever you want to create. So let's let me just start in prayer, and then I'm going to ask the worship team to prayer. And so let's kind of pray a prayer of, of dedication. Father, we dedicate our families to you, and we pray, Jesus 
that you would rule and reign in our families, whatever they look like. So now, Lord, as we take some time and we just dedicate our families back to you, Lord, be glorified in us as we give the best we can unto you. Thank you, Jesus.